Welcome to the Cannabis Enlightened Podcast with Dr. Leroy, brought to you by March and Ash at marchandash.com. I'm Chris Cantori, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to your host, Dr. Leroy. Hello, and welcome, everybody, to another episode of Cannabis Enlightened. I am your host, Dr. Leroy, and today we have a very special episode for you. Um, someone that I met at a conference in November, Canapharma Conference. And the Canapharma Conference, when I first heard of it, I thought it would be a bunch of scientists, you know, and intellectuals, and they would be discussing things far over my head. Well, it was a lot of intellectuals. But after a while, uh, a gentleman came on that I had to take a second look because he started to make sense, meaning I could understand what he was talking about. And he, he really had a lot to say about cannabis and the benefits of testing cannabis. And in just a minute, I'm going to let him introduce himself and give you a little bit of background of where he is, what he does, and who he does this thing for so that everyone will have a background knowledge. So without any further ado, Chris, welcome. Thank you, thank you, appreciate it, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Christopher Marsh. I am the Chief Scientific Officer with a cannabis and hemp laboratory based out of Florida called Green Scientific Labs. Um, I've been in, in the cannabis testing space for about four and a half years now. Um, I graduated in, from UCLA uh, in 2017 and have been involved in the space uh, ever since I did my uh, PhD at UCLA in chemistry. And um, that was right around the time when the California regulated market just became a regulated market. And what a great, you know, what a great time to get involved. Um, brief history, I've, I've been involved with a couple of different cannabis labs, um, a few actually, two up in Berkeley, California, and then I moved down to LA and started a lab there um, from the ground up. And I'm now a uh, chief scientific officer at Green. So um, I've definitely seen a, you know, a lot of different uh, sort of uh, the evolution of the market and the testing market has been really exciting to watch. And there's a lot of stuff happening that I think, you know, you see in the news sometimes or just the safety of cannabis that I, mean, I think testing is a huge part of that. It's an it's integral part of making the regulated market um, successful. So. Yeah, but really happy to be in your podcast today. It was great to meet you at the conference. Thank you very much. You know, you're absolutely right that um, cannabis became legal in California, I believe, in uh, 2016. So as you came out of uh, your Ph.D. program, you were poised and ready to uh, be part of um, a great industry. So with that in mind, you work for Green Scientific Labs, is that correct? That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. Okay. So, what do you do there? What What happens at Green Scientific Labs? That's a good question. Um, so, you know, in states where cannabis or is uh, medical or adult use or recreational, you know, legalized, uh, most states, uh, all of them I can think of, have instituted a testing policy where before you sell your product as a licensed producer of cannabis, whether that's, you know, flour or oils or edibles or infused topical products. Um, many of these states require you to get 
their real product tested. And that's, you know, so we do testing for um, both hemp and marijuana clients. In, in Florida, they call it marijuana. It's called, usually the differentiator is it's, it's marijuana or hemp to the federal government. I prefer to say cannabis because it includes everything and it's a more scientific term. Um, but we test products for our clients. So um, we'll test, you know, anything from flour to vape cards to gummies and edibles, topicals. I had shrimp scampi one time. Uh, all the innovative products out there, we'll test those for cannabinoid potency. So, you know, when you go to look at your product, how much THC is in there, how much CBD is in there, what's the percentage? Um, you know, if it's a five milligram edible, are you getting a five milligram edible or is it 4.8 grams or, you know, 5.2? So we, we measure that. Uh, we also do safety testing on the products in addition to the potency. So we'll test for pesticides, um, heavy metals, um, solvents, you know, uh, microbial contamination, things like, you know, salmonella, uh, mold, things of that nature. And, um, and we also do terpene testing. So if you've heard of terpenes before, they're kind of like the, the flavor molecule. Uh, we, we do testing for that. And this, in Florida, uh, where we're, our headquarters is based, that's required if you're a licensed um, cannabis producer there to sell it to consumers. Um, and like I said, we also do a very similar piece, um, a very similar set of testing for our hemp and CBD clients. Now that's a little bit trickier because the USDA does not have safety testing rules for hemp and CBD yet. They really just have uh, rules around uh, THC content. So they say that you can't have a product that has more than 0.3% THC in it if, it, if you're gonna sell it as hemp or as CBD. A lot of people don't want to get their product tested for things like pesticides and metals anyway, because obviously it's a risk to, you know, to public health for, um, for things to be released to consumers that, you know, haven't been tested. So, Chris, wherever cannabis is legal and it's allowed to be sold, then you test, you're supposed to be testing the product or, or at least a lab is supposed to be testing the product. That's right. Yeah. In every state where cannabis has been made legal, they have, as part of the regulations, they have testing requirements. So um, there's testing labs popping up all over the place across the country, you know, in states where, where they're legal. And there's also, you know, hemp and CBD labs, which is some of them do cannabis testing. Some of them, some of them don't. So you have to be up on all the, the, the regulations, the testing regulations throughout the country, I would imagine. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've been testing hemp and CBD for, you know, that's what, how green scientific really got its start. Um, in fact, our phone number was 1-800-TEST-CBD. And, um, you know, since the farm bill of 2018, a lot, a lot's really evolved, you know, different states are specifically, I'm specifically talking about the hemp and CBD market right now. Um, originally it was just make sure it's 0.3% THC or lower. Now, states like um, California, Colorado, and others are implementing their own regulations because they see uh, like a lack of regulations at the federal level. They say that, you know, if you're going to sell your CBD product to someone in the, the store, um, just like food, like there's got to be certain limits that you can't allow, you know, pesticides, metals, or uh, bacteria, you know, it's got to be a, below a certain level. And believe it or not, the USDA hasn't set those for hemp and CBD yet. So yeah. Yeah, different states are bringing them online. And that's that's really, you kind of hit at one of the biggest pain points of being a testing lab is that 
Um, it seems like every week the, the regulations are updated to change, they're changed and, you know, one state might add regulations, another state might, you know, make a tweak to theirs or something like that. So it's, it's a lot to follow and track for sure. So if there, if a state does not have regulations or if someone is exposed to or, or, or takes um, consumes some cannabis that has not gone through the testing. What, what is the issue with that? That what problem might occur? Mm. Well, I think so. I don't want to get our terms confused here. So I'm going to say let's talk specifically about met like uh, what most people would refer to as medical marijuana or adult use recreational marijuana. Um, I'll put CBD and, and hemp and CBD to the side for a second. Um, first of all, if you're buying something that, like if you're buying marijuana or, you know, um, adult in an adult use market or a, a medical market where it's legal, if you're buying it that, uh, where, where it's not tested, uh, that probably means you're buying it from, you know, like the, what most people call like the black market. Um, you know, you got a friend who gets it from a person and you've got, who's got a guy, you know, and, and they're selling it to you at a pretty good price which, you know, that's the way it's been for, man, years and years and years. In fact, you know, the, you know, the legal market wouldn't be here if it weren't for, you know, people selling it kind of under the table. So I personally don't have um, a, like a, a problem with that from a, you know, it might be weird to say, but I don't have a problem with that at, at a fundamental level. But the risk is that now you're buying product that um, you don't know what's in it. And I'm not talking about THC and CBD. Yes, it's nice to know, you know, what, uh, how strong your product is, if how much percent THC and CBD is in there. But uh, if you buy product from someone, like if you go to your, your dealer and buy a, an eighth of flour, uh, that flour might have pesticides in it, you know, might have um, mold growth in it, which can lead to other toxins. It might have a heavy dose of heavy metals, depending on, you know, the, nutrients and the water and the soil that that grower whoever grew it used you know um and that's a that can be you know it can be dangerous it can be very problematic especially with with people who have you know uh, compromised immune systems already and they're using it for medicine i wouldn't you know i wouldn't go to cvs for example and like buy some some aspirin off the shelf and think to myself hmm, i wonder if this aspirin has pesticides in it you know, I, I just wouldn't, I would just trust that it didn't. Right. And so that's why getting your sample tested and your flower tested, your product tested is so important. I had an example. Um, it was uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, you know, I, I've worked in California and I was running a lab in the San Fernando Valley up in LA. And um, one of my uh, colleagues at the time um, brought in some flower that, you know, uh, we were going to smoke after work as we usually did, you know, away from the building and out in the street, like, you know, kind of like a five o'clock happy hour kind of thing. And um, so we rolled up, you know, uh, licked the joint, started passing it around. And um, I, I hit it a few times, you know, we were all having a good time, went back into my office and sat down and I started to notice a pain in my gut. And um, I've, I've been in the industry for a few years to know that I... That when I get a pain in my gut, usually what that indicates to me is that I've got some sort of pesticide issue going on. Um, I, I consider it pesticide poisoning. And I never had data to back that up, 
But this one time um, I asked my colleague, hey, do you have some of that flour? I'm just curious, where did you get that? And she said, oh, well, you know, between you and me, I bought it at a, uh, an illegal dispensary over in Pasadena. And I was like, ah, okay, interesting. Well, do you have any more of it? And she said, yeah, yeah, take some. And I tested that for pesticides. And it was actually kind of like a really interesting moment. But sure enough, there was a healthy dose of, I forget the pesticide that was in there, but it was a healthy dose of pesticide in that flower. So, you know, that made me feel really uncomfortable. And I kind of was cool to see the data. I, I felt like I sort of, you know, took one for the so took one for science that day. Um, but, uh, you know, that's one of the risks, you know, it's, it's just unknown contaminants in your, in your product that you, you really shouldn't be consuming. So Chris, is it safe that that's a very interesting story? Um, is it safe to say that in addition to getting an ache in your stomach, you know, being sick, you could be worse. It could be worse. It, could endanger your even living? In most cases that I can't, you don't see, um, unlike alcohol, you don't hear about a lot of people dying from uh, smoking cannabis, fortunately. Uh, it seems to be a, a relatively safe product all around. That being said, there are people who should be very careful. Um, generally people should all be careful. I would say people with um, in, you know, immunocompromised systems um, need to be very, very careful. And there was a case, um, it was a few years ago in the Bay Area, I believe it was in Oakland, um, where somebody had smoked cannabis that was um, very contaminated with a mold we call aspergillus. And aspergillus is a, is a, a toxic fungi that is very prevalent in uh, ca uh, cannabis cultivations and grows. And the problem with aspergillus is that it also produces a... Um, a toxin called myco, we call them mycotoxins. Um, some are called aflatoxins, some are called ochratoxin. Um, but these are toxic to human health and at, even at low doses. And there was a case in Oakland where somebody had smoked, um, you know, fungi, you know, contaminated with aspergillus, and they actually got a disease called aspergillosis. And that, I, I don't believe, I don't believe they died, but it was a very serious, serious injury. And they were, they were in the ER, in the hospital. And, um, and so, and that's not, that's not the only case. That's just the most recent one I know of. And people that, you know, again, have um, immune systems that are compromised just need to be very, very careful. Um, there's also just the risk of being very uncomfortable. If you buy something, okay, so if you, have you ever gone and uh, went to like a, maybe a party or something and somebody had brownies, you know, a pot brownie? Yeah. Well, um, you know, people still make them on their own. It's, all well and good. I've tried that a few times myself, but if you buy an edible or brownie or, you know, some kind of infused product um, from someone and they don't, you don't have a certificate of analysis or a test result to show what the number of milligrams is you're going to get. Again, if, if you're expecting five milligrams, but they kind of messed up the form formulation and there's 500 milligrams in there now, uh, you're going to go for a ride. You know, you, you're going to get way more high than you ever really wanted to. And that's potentially, well, first of all, incredibly uncomfortable. You know, no one likes to be so, so high that they can't function. Um, and secondly, if you were planning on doing something or I don't know, uh, you decided to go drive a short distance away and you all of a sudden are quite high, 
it, it could be dangerous. You know, you just don't want to be caught off guard and, and you also don't want to take a dose, you know, that where you don't know what it is. Nobody likes to be mistakenly dosed. So that, those are just a couple of examples of like why testing is so important. You just want to know just what you're getting is what you're getting. Again, I use the aspirin analogy all day long. If you go to the store and you buy aspirin, uh, it's 200 milligrams per tablet, end of story, nothing else in there, controlled, uh, very, very uh, tested. There's a lot of quality, quality control, quality assurance involved with that product. And, and cannabis should be really no different. It's a medicine as well as a recreational product, you know, and, and the people that are using it for medicine especially need to know that they can rely on it to be what, you know, what they need it to be each time they use it. Well, it sounds to me, Chris, like those couple of reasons uh, or examples that you just gave are pretty important. I mean, you don't want to be putting something in your body that has heavy metals or pesticides or whatever else could be on it. And you certainly want to know how many milligrams, because you, as you were saying, that if someone takes some cannabis that has a higher level of milligrams than what their body can take, and they expect to drive home, I don't think that's going to end up very well. No, no. Well, the driving thing is interesting, too, because, you know, people try to equate, you know, um, uh, people that drink with people who smoke and then drive, you know. It's, um, it's really dependent upon your own personal chemistry and biology, right? Because if I take five milligram gummy, um, I, I'm going to be able to drive um, with no problem at all. And I, in fact, I feel like that actually enhances my drive because I kind of just focus on, on driving and kind of you know, get into that zone. Um, but if my, my mother were to take a five milligram edible and then try and drive, I would say, mom, you should hang out for a little bit. So it's completely based off of your own um, experience with the, with the, the medicine and your tolerance levels, which it's hard to kind of, you know, if you have a 0.02% blood alcohol content, uh, that's the same across the board. And yes, some people are high functioning, but you can kind of measure that and set a, a decent limit, um, for, for cannabis, it's not really the same. Um, but nevertheless, yeah, you shouldn't be caught off guard with the, the, you know, the experience that you're about to have. So I, I think that a lot of people try to measure or equate their alcohol consumption with a cannabis consumption. And it almost sounds like you're saying it's not the same. You, you might be able to tolerate more alcohol than you could with respect to cannabis. I think it depends on, I, again, I, I think it depends on the individual and, and your personal biology and your experience with it. Obviously, as you use more cannabis, you kind of get a tolerance to it. You know, like if you just started out and you take a puff, you might be high for hours. But, you know, after a few months of, you know, using it every now and then, you might see that you need like two puffs. And then all of a sudden you're kind of back to the same point. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to compare it to alcohol too much because, um, to be honest, I don't, I don't know as much about alcohol as I know about cannabis. But also I, I generally try to just keep that that comparison, you know, um, I try to limit my comparisons to alcohol because they really are just completely different sort of uh, substances, you know. Is it is it safe to, to say that if you're going to consume cannabis, you should just consume cannabis? If you're going to consume alcohol, you should just consume alcohol? Or is 
Can you mix them depending upon your metabolism? I, you can mix them. Um, I would never recommend that personally. In fact, the regulations that are coming out explicitly say that you cannot mix any of the you know, cannabinoids, THC, CBD with alcohol, um, except with the exception of tinctures. Tinctures are a very medicinal way of extracting um, you know, molecules from the plant. And that's a, an, uh, it's really an, an ancient way of delivering medicine. Um, but, but mixing, you know, THC and CBD with beer or with wine or with hard alcohol is just a, it, it, states have taken a clear, uh, a clear um, sort of perspective on that in that you, they just do not allow it at all. And, and it's for a good reason. I mean, people have probably heard the term crossfaded. Um, that's what we call it when you're very, very high and also very, very, you know, drunk or tipsy. And when you get to a certain point with those, I'm sure some people can, again, it's all related to your personal biology or personal chemistry, but something about that combination of substances just absolutely levels people. And, and it, can, it just makes you incredibly, incredibly disoriented and um, potentially sick. So yeah, I, I would never recommend mixing those and it. The states have taken a pretty clear um, stance that that won't be allowed. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad to hear you say that. Uh, that's important for listeners to hear. Now, on the packaging of, let's say, um, a cannabis mint or edibles um, or whatever they, they happen to partake in, it's going to have a number on it, a milligrams, like uh, 2.5 milligrams or uh, 5.1 milligrams. Uh, that is in connection with the THC and or the CBD that's contained in the product? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the state of California only, so because I assume most of your listeners are, well, I hope they're all, all over the world, but uh, since we're in California, I'll just speak about that. Um, the state requires uh, on products to list the milligrams of THC and CBD that are in that product. So if you buy a chocolate bar and uh, it says 100 milligrams of THC on the chocolate bar, that means you're getting 100 milligrams in the entire chocolate bar. Uh, they may like, you know, break each increment up into um, serving sizes of say 10 milligrams each. And you've got, you know, 10 squares per chocolate bar. So that's 100 milligrams. And that's what they're referring to. And that's a good way for consumers to know, you know, uh, if I take five milligrams and I feel this certain way, well, then I know that every time I'm going to be buying that 10 milligram like piece of chocolate and, and I can sort of, they, in science, we call it titrate. We basically um, kind of dose ourselves based off of what we know through experience and, and trial and error, maybe, uh, what is like the best dose for me. It's hard to go to a doctor and have them say, hey, you should be taking, you know, uh, 10 milligrams of THC every dose. It's just, if you're using it for recreation, especially, you just kind of have to know what you, what you like or how much you can take before you, uh, before you have like a dose that you feel is a good experience for you. And one way to do that is through those serving sizes, like you said, and CBD too. CBD, we'll, we'll put the milligrams. Um, that's mostly for infused products. You wouldn't see milligrams necessarily um, in flour or like a vape cartridge, you know? If you, if you smoke a vape cartridge, you'll see that the percentage of THC is on there or like the percentage of CBD. They normally don't do milligrams of CBD or THC for a, a vape but they will in like edibles and things that you ingest. So, so Chris, um, for people that are new to cannabis, but 
have a history of drinking and they probably can have one or two drinks or one or two shots and, um, you know, maybe immediately within um, maybe 10, 15 minutes, they start to feel something. Is, is that the same uh, experience that one should expect from uh, cannabis? It's a great, great point. Um, it depends, and I'll say why. So if you smoke weed, uh, if you smoke cannabis, vape it, um, inhale it, essentially, you are going to feel the effects of that much faster. And I'm talking between two to 15 minutes. I mean, I have actually watched people smoke and seen their eyes turn red in real time. That's how fast it, that's how fast it can go when you inhale it. it, it the, the, um, the inhalation breaks the, the blood brain barrier faster. Uh, and that's basically the, the barrier that the THC molecules have to cross to actually make it uh, into you know, the receptors in your brain for all of that fun, high experience to occur. So when you inhale it, that process, the kinetics of that are much, much faster. If you um, ingest it, it depends. Uh, traditionally, eating an edible takes a much longer time for it to you know, kick in. Uh, in fact, a lot of edibles manufacturers now are putting on the label like, eat a piece and wait one hour. And if you don't feel anything, then try something, try another piece. But the idea is people will eat it, right? And then in five or 10 minutes, they don't feel anything. They're like, well, I must not have had enough. Okay, let's just eat, keep eating more and more and more. And all of a sudden now they're just gonna be like incredibly, incredibly high because they you know, didn't wait long enough for it to kick in. So edibles on average are between uh, 20 to an hour, 20 minutes to an hour for those to kick in. Um, flowers, almost instant. Vapes, you know, concentrates, almost instant. Um, but there has been a big push lately uh, to make these um, products for be like beverages, drinks. They call it like a mocktail. It's not a cocktail. It's a, it's a mocktail. And there's a big push to have the people that are drinking that infused product, like a, like a drink product, to be able to drink alongside their friends who are drinking, you know, beer or wine or spirits and have a, have a similar experience at the same time. So there's a lot of work being done to create products that actually get you that high faster after you ingest, ingest the, uh, you know, the drink, if you drink it or you, or you um, sometimes they have tinctures, you can put it under your tongue. And there's a big effort to make that effect happen faster so that people can, again, like sit with their friends who are having a drink of alcohol and, you know, kind of kick in at the same time. So if they're going to, if that's going to happen, then there's going to be a higher concentration of THC in that uh, drink than uh, would be in an edible? Not necessarily. Uh, the way they do that in a drink, uh, it gets a little bit... Um, technical, but basically what you do is um, to, when you put THC into a drink, you have to um, sort of force it into the drink because THC is kind of like Italian dressing. You know how Italian dressing separates and you have to shake it up? Right. Um, THC in water is very similar. So in order to get it to stay into water, you have to surround it by molecules that are gonna basically um, keep it from separating out of the water. And when you do that, you can kind of control the size of the particle of THC, that THC oil, I should say, that you're forcing into the drink. So it's like um, basically by making the THC particles smaller when you infuse them into the drink, 
instead of even have be you know from from a, if I could get a little science here for for a second, um, if you make the THC um, like a micron sized, so you know 0 0.001, very very if you make it really small, it'll get into your system a certain rate. If you make it even smaller, it'll actually go into your system faster, and so people are working on trying to get it as small as possible. They call it nano, right? You've probably seen like nano infused. That's what that means. And what they're trying to do is make it more bioavailable to your system so that your body absorbs it faster and is uptaken, you know, into your, uh, into your endocannabinoid system and all, all those receptors that, you know, give you that experience. Should a person, um, and this is your opinion, of course, should a person involve themselves with uh, a drink a cannabis drink and an edible? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah, there's a, there's a really interesting drink out there that only has two and a half milligrams of uh, THC. My, my girlfriend actually loves them. And it's a pretty light experience if you're a heavy, you know, uh, cannabis consumer, consumer. But I would I would have no problem drinking a little bit of, you know, THC infused drink, uh, maybe taking a five milligram piece of chocolate and having a pretty nice afternoon. I, I see no problem with that. I, I would do that. I've probably done that myself. But but not to mix it with alcohol. Oh yeah. Well, that's a different story. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you got to keep the alcohol and the cannabis separate. You know, if you've never been prostrated, uh, you, it would happen to you one time, and you would never want to do that again. I'm sure it's not a great feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Now, that's a great place for us to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere, because when we come back, we'll have more with our guest and Dr. Leroy. You're listening to the Cannabis Enlightened Podcast, powered by March and Ash. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. Welcome back to the Cannabis Enlightened Podcast. I'm Chris Canturi, and here's more from our host, Dr. Leroy Brady. So um, as we're talking about cannabis, is, is there, is there a, a type of cannabis that is that will have cannabis in it, but it's not regulated? And I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of... Um, um, I think it's THC um, eight. Delta eight, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's a whole it's a whole thing now. Um, I think what people so that kind of goes back. We have to talk a little bit about the farm bill before we can talk about that. I think so. In 2018, um, U.S. government passed the farm bill, which made hemp legal, and as a result, you know that's when you saw these CBD products pop up because CBD. Um, that you see a lot of the products you see on the shelves, those are, um, those are products that are made from CBD that comes from hemp, not, you know, not from what the government would call marijuana, right? Hemp would be um, anything that has less than 0.3% THC in it. Okay, so 
because of that bill, you see these products pop up, but people are getting very um, innovative as people always do. Um, they're taking the CBD that is legally produced in the United States and they're using traditional chemistry to basically uh, change that CBD into cannabinoids uh, that are actually, you know, designed to get you high. So you can take CBD and convert that into a form of, of a form of THC that's actually legal. Um, for your listeners, you know, the, the form of THC that you would find in like a marijuana product or, you know, in, in you know, weed and cannabis, uh, that's something we call to, uh, we call it Delta 9 THC. Um, the form of THC you get from CBD is called Delta 8. And so this has thrown a lot of people through the loop, uh, including the, the government and the DEA, because um, formally T Delta 8 THC is actually scheduled on the Controlled Substances Act as a you know a Schedule One controlled substance, but uh, in September the DEA came out and said, well, actually, if you get Delta Eight THC converted from CBD, that's actually legal because it's you know it's like derived from hemp. So it's been I know it sounds confusing. It is a little confusing. It's been kind of a wild ride. Again, it's one of those things that seems to change whenever the wind blows. But as of today, this podcast, you know. Uh, January the 20th, 2022, um, Delta 8THC seems to be legal when it comes from CBD. So there's an issue where that, that kind of scares me as a scientist because as a, as a testing lab, because I see people, th there's no regulation of these Delta 8 products at all. There's very, there's actually very little regulation of CBD products and Delta 8, um, the problem with that is the way that you convert it, it can introduce byproducts and other sort of unknown contaminants into your product that, again, we don't really know what those byproducts are going to do. So if you've seen, you know, I walked into a gas station in Detroit uh, last, I think, April. Uh, it's been around for a while now. And I saw at the gas station, you know, Delta 8 THC vape cartridges for sale for like 20 bucks. And I thought to myself, first of all, I would never buy it from a gas station. Uh, I just, but then I thought, how many people are and, and what's, what's in them? And so, you know, we test these things at Green Scientific I mean, we test Delta 8 products. And, you know, sure enough, uh, most times, not all the time, but most times uh, the Delta 8 that they say is there is present. You know, I can see it in my, my testing results and, you know, we use a instrument called a, a chromatograph to, um, to find these things. But what I also see are other unknown substances in there that I don't see in like what we call clean distillate. Um, and, and these products that come in, I just see other, other, you know, peaks that show up that I'm just not quite sure what they are. And that's, again, that's unusual. It shows that these products are dirty, that the conversion technique, depending on who does it, whether it's in their mom's garage or a, you know, a, a high functioning facility, um, it, there's just unknowns there. And what that means is that people are smoking or using product that they aren't sure what it is. You know, who knows what's in there. Um, we don't know what the effects of that kind of thing are because, you know, over time, it's hard to say if you use something now, how it'll affect you, you know, four years from now. Sometimes disease and other things take time to, you know, develop in your body. And it's not always immediately clear. Um, it doesn't seem like people are, are dropping, fortunately, as they use these products, but 
it's really like the unknown component that we just aren't sure how it's going to affect people over the long term or the different byproducts and you know how how they are harming people. I like your um, your story of of seeing uh, Delta Eight THC uh, Delta Eight at a, a gas station as opposed to a um, I guess a, a a legal cannabis store would so let me push that a little bit further. Uh, would you find um, THC Delta Eight at a legal cannabis dispensary? Would you find something like that? You you can you can. Now, I, want, I want to make it clear. Like it's not um, like Delta Eight itself is is seems to be fine, right? So it's not Delta Eight. It's the it's the stuff that's occurring with it if you don't produce it well. So um, a lot of there's actually some large manufacturers across the United States now that are legal uh, cannabis manufacturers in, in various states where it's legal um, that have started to incorporate Delta-8 into their product, uh, into their products. And so they are getting that tested. Certainly they're getting it tested for, you know, pesticides and heavy metals and, and bacteria mold. So that's a much more trusted product. I would say though, even with that, it, it's still, it's not perfect. You know, we're still learning this. And even if you get Delta-8 in a legal system and you get it tested for those, you know, different um, tests that I just mentioned, like bacteria, pesticides, metals, like there's no regulations around testing for what's, what's not supposed to be there for cannabinoids. So like if I run, let me put it this way, if I run a Delta-8 product and I see Delta-8 in there, all I'm required to do right now is to tell the manufacturer how much Delta-8 is there. Okay, you've got an 88% Delta-8 oil. Okay. There is no regulation or guidance as to what to do if you see other unknown sort of um, compounds in the product. You know, it's there as an, a scientist, I, I see that and I'm alarmed. Um, it's not going to mean they can't sell that product. So even in product that is legally in a store, all that means is that that product, and, and, and by the way, I want to say before I say this next part, the fact that they're getting it tested is a huge, huge step up from people selling things in a gas station. So um, I, I guess a person would really need to do some further investigation or have a conversation, further conversation with uh, somebody at a uh, cannabis dispensary or store if they go in and they ask for THC Delta eight or Delta nine, they really need to be careful because they may be getting something that is sold at a legal store, but that has not been tested for some contaminants that might be harmful. Well, again, it's, it's tough. It's tough at a legal store. Um, they're going to be doing the best, the best they can right now. And so if you're going to try Delta eight, I would say, get it from a legal dispensary because what that means is it's being sold and produced by a manufacturer who has a license who bothered to go you know and could go through that licensing process and is audited and regulated by the state um, and has certain quality you know uh, procedures in place to make sure their product is is as safe as can be and as you know as um, well formulated as as they want it, you know, as they, as their internal specifications require. Um, I certainly wouldn't try Delta 8 from a store that, you know, from a, a non-legal dispensary or like a CBD store. Like personally, I just don't want to get involved with Delta 8 right now. I, I don't like 
I don't want to try that because I, I just don't know where it's coming from. Um, if you did want to try it, I would say you get it from a legal dispensary, but just know that, yeah, they might, that that dispensary is not required right now for them to report um, unknown contaminants or byproducts in the material. You know, that's a risk. And that, that's a risk uh, even in like in regular THC products. There's sometimes, um, depending on the manufacturer, and they're quite good now, so I don't see it as much. But if you're making Delta 9 and you, you know, kind of messed up and let's say you overheated it, well, now you've got a lot of sort of byproducts and degradation products in that, in there that the lab is not required to test for, or not, nor can they really identify, because that takes a lot more uh, time and expensive instrumentation. So, so my my sort of personal rule of thumb is I just I buy things that I know. I, I personally stick to flour. Uh, I know that what grew from Mother Earth is. Uh, as long as there's no pesticides or heavy metals or, or mold in there, which I can test for, uh, what's coming out of that plant is naturally grown. And, um, you know, I, I trust that. It's people have been smoking the herb for, for many, many years. And that's my personal go-to. So um, I'm going to do something that I think there was a program on TV that talked about the Wayback Machine. So I'm going to put you in the Wayback Machine um, back to 2018. You wrote an article that talked about the four things I learned from cannabis testing industry, from the cannabis testing industry. And um, it had to do with in, imposing uh, testing regulations. Uh, regulations um, limit the scope of uh, edibles, and testing labs still have a lot to do to catch up with the regulations. And then last but not least, California now has some of the cleanest weed around. <laughs> So yeah. since, since then, if I can bring you from 2018 to 2022, so is there anything else that you've learned? Anything else that I've learned? Whew. Wow. Well, uh, yes, there's, there's a lot that I've learned. Um, <laughs> some of it, maybe I wish I hadn't, but... Uh, it's, it's a tough, from, from the testing industry, what, I, what I'll say is like one of the most interesting things um, is you would think that testing labs are all, you know, um, forthcoming and they want to kind of, as I've always been trained as a scientist that you really want to try to reach the most accurate, uh, truthful result that you can, you know, whatever it is you're doing. The goal is to produce good, solid data data that's reproducible, that represents, you know, the thing that you're doing, you're analyzing or whatever it is, okay? It's interesting that in California, there, as of this, uh, this podcast, the last time I checked, there were, I think, 41 active uh, cannabis testing labs in the state of California, uh, which is a lot, um, too many. And what I've, I've seen happen is that there's so much competition in the testing lab space, actually, from a business perspective, that a lot of these labs, um, whether they're large or they're kind of struggling to get started, are faking potency numbers. So just so you know, on, on the, you know, the, the kind of traditional um, way that we price weed is by the pound. You know, if you got your turkey bag, open it up, smell it, bag appeal looks good. Uh, used to be, you know, two two grand per pound, and then you're good. So the price the price of weed has traditionally been um, sort of priced 
uh, by how it smokes, what it looks like, how it smells. Um, now with testing results, it's like how high is how high of a THC percentage is in there. And so I have clients that won't sell cannabis to dispensaries unless it's 20% THC or higher. And that's just kind of uh, something that's developed in the legal market. But what some testing labs are doing is that obviously they understand this, right? Um, and they would be more preferable from a client's point of view to test with a lab that will give them a higher result. So you have cannabis testing labs that are, you know, basically inflating these results to a, uh, a much higher degree, you know, that means that their client is going to be able to sell their product for more. Um, the testing lab is going to make more money because their client is using them more now. And um, everyone wins, right? And, and the problem is the state isn't, doesn't have enough resources to really, you know, enforce or audit those laboratories that are doing this. It's really hard to catch too. If they're, they're, they're clever, they can do it in a way where it's actually very hard to catch. Uh, it's actually gotten so bad in California uh, that the governor just signed a bill uh, a couple months ago that is, maybe it was just last month actually, that is going to require all testing labs to use the same test method to test their potency because, you know, labs can do it slightly differently. They're going to level the playing field and say, you have to use this version of the test to get the potency number because everyone's just giving different results. So. I guess naively I learned that not all labs are built the same, not all labs are you know, giving you the same quality data. And I've always tried at every lab I've been to, to be as consistent and truthful in the data as possible and to make sure I'm giving people the actual number they need. You know, if, if somebody comes to me and they think they're getting a product that has a lot higher THC in it than actually is there, then they're gonna have a different experience. You know, it's, it's not gonna be what they expect. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, somebody, uh, the, the testing labs are really what's giving the consumer the information. And if we're not accurate or we're inflating numbers just to kind of uh, do the business game, you know, it's just not, it's not fair to the end consumer, in my opinion. So that's one thing I've learned is testing labs are not all the same. With, with those over 40 labs here in California, would it be safe to say that a legal dispensary is using one of those labs that may not be that legit? Uh, it's possible. I mean, the dispensary itself is buying products from you know manufacturers and distributors. Um, and so the dispensaries themselves are usually not the ones who say which lab to use. It's the brands and the companies. The manufacturers. Yeah, it's possible. It's very possible. In fact, it happens all the time. I know, I know several labs where that's the case. And, um, I, you know, I get it from a business perspective. You know, you want to try and impress your clients and uh, maybe bring in some more business, but it's just not, it's not, it's not accurate. You know, it's not, uh, it's not the, the true result. So it's, it's possible. I mean, the reality is it's just going to be a higher potency. And, and the worst case scenario is you get something that says it's really, really high, a high potency and, and you, you smoke it and it's not maybe as high as you thought it was. So at, the risk to public health is, you know, admittedly pretty low. But it's, again, it's sort of like, it's just, it's not, it's not what you, you might be getting something less than what says on the box. You know, if you find something that says 35% THC, 39% THC, I've seen people question if that's even biologically possible from the plant's perspective. You know, if you're talking about a plant that now has over one third of the plant is just THC oil or trichomes and resin. It's like, is that even biologically possible is a good question. Right. 
that kind of brings us back to uh, the beginning of our conversation when we were talking about uh, cannabis enlightenment and knowledge. And I always say that, um, you know, knowledge is power. And you, you've got to find out what it is you're going to put into your body, whether it's an edible, a drink, um, you're going to vape it, uh, however you consume it, you, you've got to know where it came from and what the potency is of it. Mm -hmm. so Absolutely. On that note, I want to thank you sincerely, uh, Chris, for, for helping out with this podcast. Your information was golden. And I, I only use that word when it's the top notch. Your information is golden. And I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be hanging on every word that um, you have talked about today. And once again, before we leave, you, you work at Green Scientific Labs? Yeah, Green Scientific Labs. We're a cannabis laboratory based in Fort Lauderdale. We actually just opened our second location in Phoenix, Arizona, and we're expanding to uh, New Jersey, Michigan, Illinois uh, very soon. So we're in a, a growth phase, no pun intended. Wow. Uh, so it's really exciting. Yeah. Well, I'm going to make a point um, this year to contact you and try to see if I can get into the the Arizona if I can get some type of uh, tour through the Arizona lab, that'd be great. Uh, feel free to reach out. You know, we, we may be in California before too long. Uh, the rate things are going, we're growing pretty quickly. So um, if that's the case, I'll be sure to either way uh, back reach out. We'd love to have you give you the tour, um, have you take a video of the lab, whatever you'd like to do. Fantastic. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate your help. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks again. This is a pleasure. Great seeing you again. If you'd like to hear more Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy, be sure to visit us online at CannabisEnlightened.com and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Cannabis Enlightened is produced in San Diego, California and presented by Marchin Ash at MarchinAsh.com. On behalf of Dr. Leroy, I'm Chris Cantori and thank you for listening. <laughs>